All right, we're back. In this segment, we're going to visit our old friend Steve Alexander in a minute to talk about some interesting developments in the legal world. But I, I had a, one more item I wanted to go through about science. This is from the, actually the same issue of New Scientist magazine, which I've now decided to subscribe to because it's such a damn fine uh, magazine. Title, An Aspirin a Day. Aspirin may be a more important drug than anybody has realized to date. In this article, uh, the idea is put forward that aspirin might actually be a micronutrient, almost on the level of a vitamin. There is evidence to suggest that humans' natural diet would once have contained small but significant quantities of salicylates from fruit and vegetables. Now, salicylates were first found in willow bark. Willow bark was discovered to have uh, some desirable properties. It would relieve fever. And it was subsequently found by the Bayer Company uh, that uh, they could uh, extract acetyl salicylate, uh, which they marketed as aspirin. And aspirin, of course, has been a miracle drug ever since. It works to reduce pain. It works to reduce inflammation. In, uh, you know, after a few more decades, in the middle of the 20th century, we realized that it actually had an important effect in reducing cardiovascular disease, which is why people uh, now take uh, one aspirin a day. Uh, more recent studies have shown that it may have a value in chronically reducing inflammation, which pays a lot of benefits. It might also have a, some value in reducing some cancers. Lowly aspirin may be uh, an overlooked important part of actually human diet. This is not uh, this is not quackery here. This is this is some interesting stuff. I should mention in passing too that oil of wintergreen is um, methyl salicylate, and actually, which is this is why you can apply this topically, uh, and it will have some anti-inflammatory properties. It actually does help with arthritis and other um, medical conditions. It uh, turns out that oil of wintergreen, though, is actually much stronger and has more side effects than does aspirin, which is why you take it in smaller quantities, or else it's toxic. Now, we know that people who eat more fruit and vegetables have lower levels of heart disease and certain cancers. The question is raised in this article, is salicylate part of that explanation? Uh, It's a good question. The biology of this is interesting. Many plant species produce salicylates as a defense mechanism. It induces damaged and diseased cells to commit suicide. Now, in today's world, of course, we expect a perfect fruit and vegetables. Now, in the old days when you grew your own, chances are there was probably a higher salicylate content. So it may be that over the years, uh, you know, we've gotten food that has less salicylate than it used to, meaning that people may be salicylate deficient. Now, there's certain parallels to this. You know, vitamin C is not a vitamin to a cow because a cow makes all the vitamin C he wants. Well, somewhere along the way, primates lost some key enzymes that would enable us to make all the vitamin C we want. But it wasn't a problem because we ate foods that contained vitamin C. Therefore, primates continued and didn't just die off from scurvy. Now, if you took any biochemistry, you know that most vitamins are cofactors. They're things that need to be there to help enzymes work. And enzymes, of course, are the machinery of our bodies and in cells that process various uh, molecules. They turn, they help one molecule turn into another much faster. The process would go on normally, but they act as catalysts. These may be terms you remember from science class many years ago. I hope so. Uh, those of you who are not in the medical or biological field. But, um, you know, at least one vitamin, vitamin E, is not a cofactor, and it's defined as a vitamin purely because it's an antioxidant. Well, salicylates share that property. So it could well be 
that if we fall short of naming aspirin a vitamin, we may find that it is an important micronutrient that people are not getting enough of. There's a little leeway when we define vitamins and things. Uh, Vitamins are considered to be essential components to diet because they cannot be made in the body, but that's not strictly true. The body is able to make some vitamin A, uh, which you get from carotene, orange uh, colored vegetables and fruits, and you can make vitamin D by going out into the sun. Punchline of all this, well, it probably would be prudent for everyone to take, uh, you know, a, a baby aspirin a day. You know, that's what I decided I'm going to do because uh, it's probably uh, not going to hurt and may help. We should note that the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, recommends people not take aspirin, uh, in the, at least the pediatric population not take aspirin, which is why uh, kids are now on Motrin or Tylenol because of the 1 in 50,000 chance of rise syndrome. And of course, aspirin is not a universal drug. Some people don't tolerate it. It may cause bleeding in the stomach, which is why there's a, a, a numerous anti-inflammatories out now that hit a different pathway. There's a couple pathways that aspirin uh, uh, works through. Uh, aspirin inhibits uh, the cyclooxygenase pathways, if you need the details, called COX-1 and COX-2. Uh, COX-1 inhibition apparently causes one of aspirin's undesirable side effects, uh, stomach irritation and, and possible bleeding. So yes, okay, I guess I have to put the disclaimer in there, consult your physician on this. But uh, the truth is, you know, almost everyone could probably benefit from baby aspirin a day. That doesn't mean everyone, but almost everyone. And for all the rest of you, please consult your physician. All right, uh, we did have a chance to talk to Mr. Paul Dorn, formerly of uh, UC Davis's Mondavi Center. Mr. Dorn appeared on Michael Mercury's program last week, and we want to have him come on ours and talk about bicycling and perhaps a bit about Mondavi as well, where he's, uh, he's no longer uh, working. But Spalding Gray, the monologist, was to have made an appearance at uh, Mondavi about a week ago, but he has disappeared. He's uh, disappeared and presumed uh, dead of suicide, most probably from having jumped off the ferry that, uh, that runs across New York Harbor. Apparently, Spalding Gray was depressed of late. Um, my friends Lisa and Gordon, who appeared in this program, went to go see him three times. They were memorable evenings in every case. He was certainly an inter- a great entertainer. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, there seems little hope that he is going to turn up in a homeless center somewhere. Uh, we'll have more to say about that in the future, and, and who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. He may yet uh, be alive and well, but it, it doesn't look good, and it appears that we've lost another uh, great entertainer. We can hope there'll somehow be a good outcome to this, like as reported in The Week magazine in the year 2002 when uh, Spalding left a noted home and then jumped from a Sag Harbor bridge, a fall of 25 feet into the water. A passerby rescued him and swam him to shore. She asked him later, how do you feel? And he said, well, I got that out of my system. Unfortunately, by, by all accounts, apparently he didn't. All right, joining us now in the program after a too-long hiatus is our old friend Steve Alexander. Steve, are you there? I'm here, Doug. Now, you've got some good news for us. I do. I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but it's interesting news. It's well, it's great local news for the local uh, educational community. Uh, you know, McGeorge School of Law has a long tradition of preparing uh, young lawyers to be trial-ready. They're very active with community service, uh, internship-type programs. And uh, 
there was a little bit of a dry spell for uh, several years. A dry spell in what way? Well, uh, McGeorge used to win quite a few competitions in trial advocacy. Can, can you paint a picture for us? What, what exactly is trial advocacy? It's a, a program where law students are put in a full simulation as if they're uh, trying a case. So they're given, okay. a, they're given a case with uh, exhibits and evidence and, you know, a statement of the case and, and all the things that, uh, that are brought to bear on trying a good lawsuit. Okay. Uh, usually surrounds either a you know, personal injury action or medical malpractice or maybe a failed business problem that, that has come to litigation. And all the teams at law schools all over the country study the problem and are coached and mentored by uh, you know, more seasoned practicing trial lawyers. And then they go to regional uh, and then national competitions. So it's kind of a glorified sort of debate team, I guess you might say. Yeah, it is, I guess, in the, uh, but in the trial context, it's probably, yeah, step up from a debate and maybe uh, on par with uh, Jeopardy. You have to manage, like, information and, like, exhibits and things as a, as a trial lawyer really would in a realistic situation. Yeah, each trial uh, takes about three hours to try. Okay. There's two students on each team, one for uh, two lawyers or law students representing the plaintiff and two law students representing the defendant. And then they go head-to-head -head as if in a real trial. We bring in trial judges, you know, that are currently sitting on the bench. Okay. We have judges sitting in the jury box. So it's like McGeorge has two, two plaintiff attorneys versus two McGeorge defendants. So it's not like, it's not like McGeorge is going against, is trying to defend the plaintiff and, and Stanford's on the attack. There's sort of a wind-up where students at each school try out okay. against one another. Okay. And some schools, like McGeorge, have like an all-school competition. But over and above that, uh, two to three teams are selected to represent the school in regional and national competitions. Some of them are sponsored by the American Trial Lawyers Association. Some of them are sponsored by the uh, Texas Trial Lawyers Association. And, you know, these are like tournaments or... Uh, they're invitationals. All right, so there was an annual tournament that just took place in February? Uh, yes, down in Santa Monica just several weeks ago. We okay. took a team from McGeorge uh, down to Santa Monica, to the uh, courthouse there uh, right in Santa Monica, All where right the in. famed civil side of the O.J. Simpson case was tried. Okay. And uh, competed over a four-day period of time. And who was your competition? Oh, Bolt Hall, a little-known law school out at Berkeley. UC Berkeley, okay. Uh, Stanford Law, Stanford. Loyola, and several other, uh, Chapman College, both public and private schools on the West Coast. Okay. And our team drubbed all the other teams, <laughs> won the entire competition, and next week are headed off to West Palm Beach, Florida, to participate in the national competition of the wow. American Trial Lawyers Association uh, trial ad competition. Well, congratulations to the McGeorge uh, team on this. Yeah, they're really terrific. We had uh, three students who were third-year students, you mm -hmm. know, kind of wiring up to pass the bar. And well, why, don't, why don't we give them a plug? We've got the, uh, the senior uh, sort of uh, leader of the team, I guess uh, captain of the team, would be Rebecca Dietzen. And uh, we have a formidable uh, young woman who uh, hails from a farm down in Lodi, Jenny Ng. And uh, the third-year student is Octavia Vrancuda. And then our, we have a second-year student that was... Do you have any guys on the team? No, all, these were all women. Oh. And, you know, they drubbed these two nice young men from Bolt and uh, 
But they were very courteous afterwards. They went up and shook their hand and said, hey, you know, you just got to keep your head down and uh, keep, uh, keep running on the old track. Wow. <laughs> what, but anyway, what is, our, fourth, what? our fourth member yeah. uh, is a second-year student, okay. and her name is uh, Catherine Vizcara, and they are all terrific. So Rebecca, Jenny, Octavia, and Catherine. Absolutely. Okay. Well, congratulations to all of them. Yeah. So it's a real feather in the cap. Is it unusual to have it be all female? I mean, what's the breakdown of, uh, of McGeorge in terms of, uh, of gender? You know, I'm not sure of the exact demographics. Uh, when I first started practicing about 27 years ago, we, yeah. you know, we maybe had uh, one, in, one in eight. Really? And now, you know, it's uh, probably close to 50%. It's not uncommon at all. We just happened to, you know, you pick teams, and uh, like I say, I think there were three... Uh, traveling competition teams from McGeorge. I was associated with the Palomine and coaching this team. And um, uh, our team just happened to have all women. Uh, some of the other teams, you know, had a mix. With a 50-50 chance, that's one in 16 odds it would be all of one gender or the other. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they were terrific. And, uh, you know, it gives you hope for the future. Uh, they were very professional. The program um, not only requires them to use their, their persuasive uh, oratory abilities and but they need to cross-examine people and put on a direct exam of their own witnesses and adhere to, you know, the highest principles of civility and professionalism in the courtroom. So it's a great all-around program. All right, well, how, do you, how do you like their chances at nationals? Uh, hard to say. Uh, nationals is going to you know, it's going to be a little bit tougher. You're going to go against uh, Yale and Harvard and uh, Harvard uh, and possibly, Yale? Possibly, uh-huh. um, although if Yale and Harvard, if, if Bolt was any indication of... Uh, you know, the, uh, what it might be for the Eastern equivalent schools, uh, we should drub them. It's the sleeper schools, you know. It's the small private schools oftentimes that have, we have a great adjunct uh, professorship uh, over at McGeorge, and so you get a lot of people that are, you know, in the trenches working with students, teaching classes, uh, you know, at various times during the year, and uh, they just get a lot of practical experience. Uh, we have a new dean over there, Dean Elizabeth Parker, and she has just done a terrific job. She has a national uh, stature, uh, came from the Wisconsin school system, was general counsel to the CIA, a terrific woman. And uh, this is the kind of program, along with some of the other governmental certified coursework that people can take at uh, McGeorge and intellectual property and some of these specialty areas, this, uh, this, this competition is emblematic of, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, the stature the schools held in years past holding a national reputation. So uh, hats off to Dean Parker, too, for supporting uh, these programs. Well, Steve, uh, we'll be curious to see what happens here with the local team from McGeorge going back east and come back and tell us what happens. Absolutely. The Office of Spun Intel has been working overtime this week. Rejoining us now is Gilbert LeBreton of the Office of Homeland Security to explain some late developments. Mr. LeBreton, uh, what happened in Haiti? Uh, Mr. Aristide left. Uh, he resigned. Uh, flew the coop, if you will. And uh, I would stress that this has nothing to do with the armed commandos who visited just before his departure. No. Well, why were they there? It was just a courtesy visit, quite routine, actually. Uh, he just elected to leave at approximately the same time. Well, Aristide has said he was kidnapped. We deny that what happened to Mr. Aristide fits the Webster's Dictionary definition of kidnapping. No? Uh, for example, there was no ransom involved. Uh, I guess no ransom note. 
Exactly. I think it goes without saying that this was no kidnapping. But Colin Powell admitted assisting the process of his departure. Uh, the Department of State made a few phone calls, yes. Uh, Mr. Aristide was in need of temporary lodgings, and the Secretary's office helped out. Uh, I believe that the Best Western in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic was contacted, and the Econo 8 in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I guess what he got in the end was the Motel 6 in the Central African Republic. I have no specific information on that. Well, sir, on a, a different subject, can you comment on the internal threat to this nation, which prompts George Bush to advocate a constitutional amendment to establish opposite-sex marriages. I'm glad you mentioned that. Doug, I'm at liberty to disclose to your listeners that Al-Qaeda electronic intercepts indicate strongly that an ongoing plan exists to sneak well-dressed Middle Eastern males into the U.S. Now, we suspect a new kind of attack on America here. Attack how? Gay marriages, uh, perhaps in San Francisco. Well... Doesn't gay marriage seem rather unlikely for Islamic fundamentalists? We have our sources. Let's leave it at that. Okay. How about uh, this issue of steroids entering the war on drugs? Well, we believe that certain West Coast labs are supplying key athletes with these substances, yes. Well, why West Coast labs? We go where the offenders are. Well, will you take some actions against a Western Republican governor who gained prominence through abuse of anabolic steroids? None is contemplated at this time. Uh, those agents were technically illegal at the time. Well, so were certain substances used by a slugger on the San Francisco Giants. Uh, uh, we don't see these as comparable. Well, no, no, of course not. Well, um, Mr. LeBreton, keep watching the borders. Mm, we'll be on the lookout, rest assured. And you know, they don't always wear turbans, and I hear that limp wrists are a dead giveaway. That's a very good point. Uh, we have already entered those tips into the computer profile. Thank you. Smartly done. Just doing our job. And if they take flying lessons and didn't land in the simulator, I say don't give them a visa, sir. You needn't worry. We're not going to fall for that one again. What a relief. All right. I better go now. All right. Well, please come again, Mr. Gilbert LeBreton. Thank you, sir. Well, that about wraps it up for today's show. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. This show was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. Tune in again next week, Thursday at 5 o'clock, when we will take up where we left off on these numerous topics that we, that we promise we'll come back to. We will get to them. Our thanks today to Steve Alexander for telling us about the interesting developments with the McGeorge School of Law. And, of course, also we'd like to thank Mr. Tex McDaniel and Gilbert LeBreton. We'll be hearing more from them in the future. Any questions or comments we'd like to hear from you, send them to info at radioparallax.com. Stay tuned for Todd.